0: When Gwyneth Paltrow, or Pepper Potts from Iron Man, launched Goop in 2016, her goal was clear. Green, clean beauty that is free from chemicals, parabens, silicones, and all the rest of the nasties. In an episode of The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, she and Fallon actually dipped McDonald's french fries into a pot of her moisturizer, presumably to make a point about the purity of her products. While the science behind some of the theories she meddles on beauty is murky, there is no denying the fact that there has been an exponential boom in products and brands that market themselves as the greener, cleaner, more natural, and ethical alternative to the cosmetics in our cupboards. But as everyone scrambles to get aboard this train to skin La La Land, there is still a lot of confusion amongst consumers themselves. The terms clean and natural are often used interchangeably with safe, green, non-toxic. There is a lack of transparency in not just the ingredients that are in these products, but also the supply chains within brands. Companies are often resorting to greenwashing their products to maximize their sales. And then there is the issue of what beauty means itself. In India, how has the beauty industry upheld certain standards of quote-unquote beautiful? Does the rise of this parallel green beauty industry actually seek to redefine beauty? And where does this industry fare when it comes to sustainable practices? All this and so much more in our second episode of Amplify. Hi and welcome to our podcast Amplify. Today we're speaking to a very special guest who is the founder of an incredible 100% natural vegan luxury skincare brand. Everything that they use in their products is eco-friendly, their packaging is eco-friendly and I'm super excited to know more about her thoughts on green beauty, sustainability and taking care of ourselves and the planet. So hi Lisa DiMello, welcome to Amplify, thank you so much for speaking with us. Hi, and thanks for having me. No worries. I'm so glad we found time for this interview or this conversation. (laughs) So, Lisa, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about Karl Hans and how it came to be?
1: Absolutely. So basically, Karl Hans is a very young company. We actually... Founded our company last year in September 2019. And the whole concept behind it was that we wanted to create a brand that kind of catered to women being proud of who they were and being Mm -hmm. confident in their own skin as opposed to striving for unrealistic standards of beauty. Because a lot of times, like, you look at other brands and there's always, like, you know, beautiful girls with Caucasian features. They're very skinny. I wanted women to kind of embrace their beautiful brown Indian features and Mm -hmm. their curves and all of that and be confident in who they were. So I kind of came up with the brand when I was working in New York. I used to work briefly for like Milk Makeup. I was interning for them whilst I was doing my master's. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of like looked at the way they were like catering to the beauty market in such a different way. And I was already such a huge fan of beauty that I kind of came up with the idea. But I'd also, the reason that I came up with, you know, like why it was so close to my heart was because when I was in New York, I met with a really bad accident that kind of left me scarred in a lot of places. And I was very insecure about my body, I guess. And it took a lot for me to get over that. And I kind of wanted beauty brands to do more about that, to make that were had scars or you know that were kind of different to to be catered to and I feel like that wasn't being done and that's why you know this brand is so important to me.
0: Yeah I mean that sounds like a very difficult time in your life and that is obviously something that encouraged you and actually sort of propelled you to start something Uh, like Karl Hans, because, you know, you didn't find what you were looking for in the existing market. So when you went through this, how did you find the motivation to sort of overcome, you know, the mental health issues that you must have been going through during this time? Honestly, it took me a while because
1: my leg was completely changed. Like you had multiple surgeries on my leg and -hmm. the doctors told me that I couldn't wear heels anymore which was honestly the least of my problems. But my leg just looked very different. So I I couldn't wear skirts anymore. I think like, you know, I I once remember going out to a bar and, you know, trying because I I was such a girly girl growing up that I loved wearing skirts, loved wearing dresses. You would never catch me in jeans, right? But when I went to a bar when I was in New York, and this just happened, you know, I just wanted everything to be normal. So I kind of Got dressed and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try wearing a skirt. And I wore like stockings mm-hmm. underneath and I wore my leg brace, which I have to wear because I had foot drop. And I I wore it to the bar and I was I was feeling pretty confident, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. when I got there, you know, I could notice like people staring and like someone yeah. like was staring a lot and like pointing even like two guys mm-hmm. I remember okay. and that kind of I don't know if. You know maybe it wasn't as like exaggerated as I remember it but that kind of like really hurt me and I think after a couple of instances where people said stuff about the scarring including like family members and aunts like I kind of I stopped wearing dresses and skirts all together and I would hide my leg all the time like I loved when people couldn't notice and they were like oh you have a brace I had no idea you look you know completely normal that's kind of what I strive for. But I think in the process, I kind of lost that part where like I had gone through this struggle and overcome it and, you know, been stronger as a a result. I just kept hiding that part of me. And, you know, every time I met like friends and they wanted to go to the pool or the beach, I'd make excuses. And I think that this brand kind of And, you know, just like with time, I guess, and like really good friends and people that love you around encouraging you to like, you know, embrace that part or not be scared. And it's the scars are not bad and nobody cares about that, really. I think that's how I kind of overcame all of that.
0: Yeah, that's incredibly powerful. And I'm so sorry for all that you had to go through, but I'm also so incredibly glad that you know what came out of that experience was this incredible company that has such strong values and is such a strong ethos towards natural beauty yeah absolutely in fact like I would
1: not if you asked me like you know would you erase that part of your life I would absolutely not I am stronger as a person as a result you know
0: yeah wow So that that sort of leads me on to the next question, which is what were the kinds of conversation or notions of beauty that you think women in India are exposed to while growing up vis-a-vis the U.S., you know, because you have spent a formative time of your life in India and then you've spent quite, I think, a decade in the U.S. So what kind of similarities or differences do you see in terms of perceptions towards beauty or shared ideals or whatever so I think that let's start with the
1: similarities I think that like growing up you know and I kind of like read a lot of like you know I read Cosmogirl and like Cosmopolitan Mm -hmm. and stuff and like you know I get I get the U.S. versions here and I think that the similarity that I saw was kind of perfection right I think that like the beauty industry has always been obsessed with perfection you know the perfect figure the perfect face and that perfect figure and face just happened to be Caucasian and I think that's what like for some reason I'm not sure why India kind of took on that role of beauty as well we're always striving Mm -hmm. to be fairer lighter skinned light skinned yeah exactly have those kind of Caucasian features and so I think that in terms of like beauty that was kind of similar whereas mm-hmm. like one thing that i thought was different in the us is that like a lot of people want to tan here they're obsessed with whiteness so you know it comes with like the culture i guess but definitely an obsession of looking perfect i love this whole beauty movement where you know everybody's kind of body positivity and you know happy with like showing themselves and like we have so many celebrities That, you know, are proud of their bodies like Beyonce and a bunch of other people. I think that was kind of what was needed. Because I don't know about you, but growing up here, one thing that I always... I was very unhappy with my face growing up. I always was like, my nose is too big. I'm not fair enough. All of these things. And even sometimes when I'd go to get, like, makeup, you wouldn't get your skin tone if you were a little darker. Like, you know there weren't a lot of options let's say so yeah I think that like perfection for sure is the similarity
0: and I think that's that's so true I mean so even when I was growing up I think there was always this emphasis on looking a certain way and and it's actually quite shocking at how young that starts for for girls you know because for me it was body dysmorphia i guess because i mean i was only like 12 or 13 so you know I, I just hit puberty and everybody was like you know you're you're fat or or you you look a certain way or your teeth are crooked or you know you're you've got like your ratio to like um skin to body hair is awful or, or, you know it's just all of this pressure to already look a very perfect airbrushed version of yep. a woman you, you know, because you're quite young at twelve or thirteen. Those are very formative ages. Yeah. And and, and it's a very impressionable age. It was a very impressionable years. You're quite gullible. You're still kind of figuring out yourself, your body, your friends, all of these different things. So to be exposed to that kind of scrutiny by your peers can actually be quite debilitating. Absolutely. No for sure. And, like, you know, I, I just,
1: I felt so bad. Like, I feel like here people are also very honest. Uh, and yeah. I don't know if it's, like, a good or a bad thing. But, you know, like, I would find, like, I'm lucky. Like, like is my sister, let's just say, she was on the plumper side. And, yeah. you know, maybe she was okay with that. But, you yeah. know, she'd get a lot of comments from people being like, oh, you should lose weight or you yeah. should, you know. So she kind of always grew up thinking that she was not, Perfect the way she was, which yeah. I think is so sad. And I, people used to bully people too in school. Like they would give oh, them nicknames, yeah, like you know, Moti and stuff. Like a girl was actually yeah. called Moti in my class. Like they, that was her yeah. nickname.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, my uh, some of my classmates used to call me Moti in, in like a teasing way, and right. and I, I remember at that point just being like, oh my god, because that sort of linked so closely to my sense of self worth at that time because obviously I didn't know better I didn't know that my sense of self-worth or my self-esteem can be derived from a variety of things rather than just how I look you know so at that point I was I was just like oh my god who I am is very intrinsically linked to what I look like and if what I look yeah. like is not this you know perfect and super like prim and proper or, or like a very set definition of beauty then I'm I'm just not good enough
1: absolutely and and have you noticed it's only for women right
0: yeah that, <laughs> exactly it's only for
1: women that like we're derived by you know as a person by the way that we look men you know yes, not, not, not so much at all people don't really yeah. care about that aspect of them they could be good looking they could be a little plumper they could you know and and they can still i don't know get away with it as long as like they do well in school. They do well at their jobs. Not yeah. us, though. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And and I think that a lot of times what happens is that, so for example, at my school, this was all like pre-move to the UK, by the way. So this was yeah. very, this is my Indian experience. So I remember there were guys in my school who were, you know, I mean, I know that this is like, we're talking about a bunch of 13 and 14 year olds, but they were not attractive. And I'm saying this with like air quotes over here um, at that age, you know. But because they were good at sports or they were good at studies or they were just sort of, you know, very charming and and loquacious people, they sort of were allowed that. So their personality was not summed up by how they look. So if they looked a certain way, it was like, oh, but what about this other extremely great quality that they have that complements their personality, you know? Absolutely. Like,
1: it's even like as women, you could have the best personality ever, you know? Yeah. But it yeah. wouldn't make a difference if they didn't think you were attractive, you know?
0: Exactly. And, and I wonder how that changed then, this experience that was so quintessentially Indian that we we've had when you moved to the U.S. because then there was that added layer of being around white people and 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 white beauty, you know, or like what is considered beautiful by the U.S. or by the West.
1: Yeah, so I think you know it, to be very honest, uh, I started thinking about this because uh, in undergrad we had a, a class on philosophy, and we kind of started. Like, talking about beauty in different cultures, you know, I was, like, in honors class, and we were just, like, we we talk about so many things, and one of the things that we talked about was, like, how beauty has, has changed throughout time, how beauty is different in different cultures, what is beauty, how, like, basically marketing affects our mm. idea of what beauty is, the way that, like, products yeah. are marketed, or you know, beauty, like all kinds of products are marketed, kind of builds your idea of what beauty is because you see it so often. So it's kind of like gets, it's like subliminally, you know, right? That this is what the world sees as beautiful. So you kind of form that idea that this is beautiful as well. So that's when I kind of started thinking about it. And I think one thing that I noticed when I was in New York was like, there were so many different kinds of people, right? You have- people from all over the world beautiful in their own way and I was so lucky to be there and mm-hmm. you know like you'd you'd meet so many people and everybody thought different people were beautiful you'd kind of get different ideas of what like you know like I had so many friends that would be like you wouldn't understand that like I think he's really beautiful like, you know and that yeah. kind of broadened my idea of what beauty was so yeah, I could have been like in any other part of the US, but I'm so glad I was in New York because I think yeah. it played a crucial role in like me kind of discovering that beauty could be so many things.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely I mean, I love New York. <laughs> I think yeah. I mean, first my first love will always be London, but then the few times that I've been to New York, I'm like, okay, this city is like a close second to where I would consider moving. Yeah. Because in London as well, I think the conversation or sort of or the perspective in my head kind of shifted a little bit from it being perfection to sort of desirability and the fact that what or who is considered desirable can actually change or, or it, there's like lots of different definitions of who is considered desirable, you know. So a lot of my friends, they weren't even thinking about who is beautiful or who is attractive in a very sort of like looks basis. They were thinking about it in um, skills, like in terms of skills. So, you know, Absolutely. one of my friends, I think he should be happy to hear this. Hi, Andrew, if you're listening, <laughs> he, he was always like, oh, I'm like, because like, we were talking about dating apps and he was like, I always swipe right on people who demonstrate that they have, like, a variety of skills on their dating profiles. And I was like, that's so interesting because I I hadn't heard that. So he wanted, like, the person that he was going to date to be able to, you know, have some musical skill, have some artistic ability, should have, like, a diversity of things that they were interested in. And I was like, that's interesting.
1: No, for sure. In fact, like, one thing that I noticed as well in New York, and this is, like, one thing that is, like, like, a huge part of Karl Hans, too, Is that I had these friends that were just so confident in who they were, Mm -hmm. how they looked. They might not have been like conventionally beautiful, but they were just so confident in who they were. And they believed that they could get like whatever boy they wanted or, you know, that they knew that they were beautiful. And I think that to me was so attractive, you know? Yeah. And I think that a lot of other people found that attractive as well. I think that, like, at the end of the day, like, confidence is such a huge part of being beautiful that sometimes, yeah. like, it doesn't make a difference what you look like. It's the way that you carry yourself, you know? Yeah, you know? absolutely. People find attractive, I found.
0: Yeah, And you talked a little bit about marketing techniques and how they're sort of used to sell a certain idea of beauty. Now, whether that beauty is actually, you know, green or sustainable or ethical or natural is another thing, but they can certainly give the impression that they are those things or that they're trying to aspire to people who are interested in these things. What kind of marketing techniques do you think that brands who are actually interested in making a difference, like yours, you know, how how do they reach out to consumers in the midst of a lot of greenwashing that goes around?
1: I think that the way that you kind of differentiate yourself from these brands that do that is that you kind of start a conversation with your customers. I think there's so much misinformation out there about so many different ingredients or, you know, like exactly what you're saying, greenwashing, pretending to be sustainable and not actually yeah. doing as much as they claim to be doing is starting that conversation. Like, you know, I welcome our customers to ask us anything like you ask me exactly what my ingredients are. We will tell you like 100 percent down to a T wow. what no. is in our products yeah. because you deserve to know you're buying it. Right. Yeah. You deserve to know where your where your ingredients are coming from what the process is and I think that like there's definitely a culture that's growing and a lot of brands are doing that but there are a lot of brands out there like you said that are taking advantage of that they'll call themselves something you know natural or something organic or whatever and they're Mm -hmm. not at 100 percent right like and if you actually go down and you ask them they'll tell you and a lot of times I would you know like starting the brand I, I wanted to do a lot of research about my competitors so I'd ask questions like where did you get this from or how was this done and you kind of find out that they weren't like answering very directly and they didn't always have the answer so I think that's how you come to know when a brand is actually you know green because if you are 100% green if you are everything that you say you can answer questions very easily, right? And you're very... Yeah, yeah. you've done your you're homework, very, yeah. Right, and you're very willing to share that information with your customers, right? Because For you have point. it. Yeah, I think that's how you
0: kind of like differentiate. Yeah, you've experience. basically got nothing nothing to hide. So you're willing to actually be super transparent with your consumers because you're like, you know what, we're doing things differently and we want to we want to share this, you know, information. We want to have this conversation with you.
1: Exactly. And I think that a key thing that... All brands should be doing. If you are a hundred percent natural, sustainable, it's kind of like making your marketing a little bit about educating your customer as well, because there's, yeah. you know, there's so many things that customers believe about certain products that are not necessarily mm. true. You know, like for example, parabens. Right. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, there's, there's no chemicals, there's no toxins, there's, there's honestly, there's so many things. Like, that could be toxic. A lot of natural things can be toxic. Just because we're 100% natural doesn't mean that, like, things can't be toxic for you. So it's just clarifying those things and not scaring your customers into buying your products, basically.
0: Yeah. So this is just some of the reading and research that I was doing. So I came across how key packaging is to the marketing technique and, and sort of the selling of products So a lot of products, they actually, like, for example, just one thing that I read was lipsticks, right? So they sometimes make, like some brands, right, they make the lipstick case sort of heavier to give it like a more luxurious feel. Or, you know, to sort of be like, oh, you're, you know, you're buying something that's like... This big, dense, pigmented secret, or something, you know? Right. So, so what kind of like, can you just tell us a bit more about what kind of role packaging plays in selling products and marketing them a certain way?
1: So, yeah, I mean, it really depends on what you're going for as a brand, obviously. Like, let's say if you're hitting the luxury market you definitely need for your products to look luxurious, you know? And yeah. that unfortunately comes with sometimes like a, a, a lot of packaging, right? Uh, yeah. I think that people, yeah. when they think luxury, they want to open like five different boxes before they get to the product, <laughs> right? Like they, they want to yeah. like... It's, the Russian doll of lipstick. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you want, it's, it's more about like the experience, right? Like you, yeah. I think luxury is the experience and... I think that like brands need to start being a little more creative about how to create that experience with less packaging.
0: That's sure. such a good point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But it really depends on what you're going for, like a lot of mass market products. It's not so much about how they look so much, you know, it's more about the pricing. Is it affordable? Does it do the yeah. job, the reviews, um, if something's utilitarian, you know, then. It really, it's it's all about the price, basically. So it, I mean, then you don't need to spend anything on like packaging or anything. So yeah. it really depends on what market you're catering to. But um, for us, I think it was like a little difficult because we are trying, we are like a luxury brand, right? But and we were trying yeah. very hard to also reduce our impact on the environment mm. when customers expect. You know that luxurious feel, giving them that without kind of, you know, wasting too much. That doesn't yeah, make-
0: yeah. Without generating waste, essentially.
1: Exactly. So we basically came up with like luxurious packaging, but it was all paper. Our bottles are made of glass, even though you know it's a lot heavier than plastic bottles. You know, we are labels are paper. So, you know, as soon as like people are done, they can reuse their bottles. They can send it back to us. You know, everything is biodegradable. Um, So all those things were kind of important to us. Yeah. So it kind of depends on you and a brand and what kind of impact you're trying to make as well.
0: Yeah. And I think what's interesting there is that. Your, the point you make about luxury being sort of very intrinsically linked to experience, I think that's really like that kind of needs a mindset shift, right? Because a lot of people just associate, ooh, like luxury means just having a specific experience rather than sort of being aware that you can have like a great experience without being, you know, wasteful of it, without sort of being excessive in your habits. Right. Right, exactly. And so what do you think like has caused this move or this shift away from beauty being about self-worth and, and sort of like um, something that you do for yourself to beauty being linked to the welfare of the planet?
1: I think it's beauty still about self-worth, but it's kind of, I think that it's, I kind of think that there's been a complete change in a sense where the whole idea of beauty has changed to kind of include, you know, so for example, for me, like beauty means, you know, like someone that's a beautiful person is gorgeous, you know, like cares about the environment, you know, can do good for the planet. And I think it's not just like the beauty industry kind of embracing that. It's a lot of different companies and industries that have kind of taken on a role that, like, positively influences the planet or, you know, society in some way. Because I think that we're all here for such a a limited amount of time that you need to kind of make an impact on people's lives and, you know, do that in a way that's beneficial for the world. So I think that the beauty industry is kind of taking that on, number one, because we're kind of going back to grassroots, right? Like, we're going back to, like, Mm. natural products, things that, you know have always been good for us, that we know have been good for us for, like, thousands and thousands of years, to also, like, kind of taking care of our planet. Like, we get everything from this beautiful world, you know, and and not kind of, like, repaying the planet by, like, you know, polluting it. Like, just making yeah. sure that your impact is positive. Yeah.
0: And how, to that extent, how important is veganism to your brand like sort of what 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 uh, motivated you to make sure that all of your products are vegan
1: so yeah so i mean i i was vegan for a while like i still am vegan yeah and basically like i really care so i'm i'm like a big animal rights activist like i i mean like yeah. in my own way <laughs> like but um yeah yeah I, I i'm really about not hurting animals And also veganism is so good for the planet, right? Because Mm -hmm. one of the biggest industries that like produces waste or that wastes water most of all is actually the dairy industry. You know, if you look at the different kinds of milks that you have, like cow milk is takes up the most resources. So it's just like kind of for me, like being vegan was kind of, I don't know, not hurting animals, not hurting my planet all of those things that I really wanted to be a part of. So that's why I kind of became vegan and decided for this brand to be like eco-friendly and vegan as well.
0: Oh, that's great. And you've got like such a strong sense of values behind this brand. Did you find that it was maybe difficult at first initially to communicate this to consumers because they had a certain level of awareness or did you find that, you know, people were aware from the get-go and, and um, you you kind of just went in guns blazing?
1: <laughs> a little bit of both. I think
0: there's such a mixed...
1: There's so many different kinds of people in India, right? You yeah. do have a lot of people here that are so aware about what's going on. They're very into sustainability and making an impact, like a positive impact on the planet. There are a lot of people like that. So I did come in knowing that there was already this market of people that knew about all these things, but then there's some people that don't necessarily know about all of this, you know, that you kind of have to educate. So I think that when you're coming in, you have to prepare for both. You know, you you kind of let people that are already passionate about these things know that that's what you stand for and these are your values as well. And the people that kind of, are not into that or don't believe in that, you use your platform to kind of educate them and and talk about why they should be into it and how it it does affect them. I think that people don't realize how much all of these things affect them. And I think when you kind of pull them into the mix and you're like, this is how it can affect you, people start to care. They can't not care, you know.
0: And what were some of the challenges that you faced as a solo female founder, you know, starting her own company and pivoting towards India because you, you moved back from the US and, and what was it like just sort of starting and taking on this big initiative from ground up by yourself? It was hard. <laughs> it was really hard.
1: I think that, you know, when you come in and you're starting a business, I mean, I was very fortunate that You know, I had my brother who I've actually named my brand after, like helping out so much. But I think that when you're coming in and you're starting your own business and it's in a totally different field than you've ever been in or anyone else you know has been in, you have to do all that groundwork yourself and figure it out. And there's a lot of trial and error and you make a lot of mistakes and I made a lot of mistakes that can sometimes be very expensive. Mm -hmm. but you kind of get there yeah um there's no other way really but it's very challenging but at the same time very fulfilling right because at the end of the day when your product's out there you see people buying your product it's such a fulfilling feeling especially when people come back to you and say oh my gosh I love this like yeah this works so well for me I love this product I love that that's what I live for so It's really nice.
0: Yeah, especially, I guess, when people are just like, you know, your product is unlike anything else that I have tried.
1: Oh, yeah. Or like when it's my favorite. Oh, I love that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly.
0: And then I guess you can, what you would have visualized when you started off, you can actually see that in front of you because, you know, there are people out there who are actually trying out what you've made and created with so much labor and love and being like you know your brand or your product really speaks to me and it actually really helps me as well you know not just on a on a a whimsical level that oh you know our philosophies match but actually you're making a difference
1: right yeah for sure I've noticed one thing about like people that buy our products they're very inquisitive they want to know what's in it why it works that way you know they want to know the ingredients so I know that like a lot of the customers that we're getting are curious and want to yeah. know more about how, you know, things work, how they affect them. So that's really nice to know, I think. That's really fulfilling for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. A lot of green beauty tends to be expensive. Yeah. Is Do you have any thoughts on, like, why that is? Or if there's any... I mean or just sort of generally what tips do you have for people who are within this industry to sort of make their products more accessible to people?
1: So okay green beauty is expensive for many reasons. Number one if you're like 100% natural just remember they're very limited natural resources right. There's a limited amount of everything. Synthetic products you can make millions and millions of tons of things because you know it's easier it's cheaper to produce natural products are expensive they're very expensive mm-hmm. they're uh like you know green products if you're using like glass bottles they're mm. expensive they're heavy they break you need to make sure yeah. they don't break shipping is expensive you know it, it's just so much you know for example if like let's say you're making like um and a hibiscus like face wash right hibiscus has a bad season there's no rain whatever you know it affects the it affects the produce your prices go up it it really there's so many factors that uh play into that even kind of preserving natural products is a lot harder the preservatives the ingredients for natural products are more expensive so i think that that's That's probably why you'll find like green and natural products are more expensive. It just is more expensive to produce in general.
0: yeah And so how can we get more number of people on board with the process and the amount of work that it takes, like the the supply chain that you just explained? And to tell them that, you know, this is this may be, you know, at the outset what you're seeing is like a slightly bigger price tag, but don't be put off by it because this is a far better product to use and it's, it's you know, it sort of has a much more positive impact as opposed to something that's cheap and, and, you know, that's just sort of for the quick buck. And, yeah, it's just like some regular FMCG company that's just sort of, making their products super cheaply and they're just here you go buy this and don't sort of think about it again
1: (laughs) so basically I would say that like first of all it's just for me like why I got into natural in the first place is because I think that you know it's basically like when you're eating a salad right Mm -hmm. you know that the salad is is good for you versus like having like hand goods or something that like you know like is synthetically (laughs) made or you know what i I mean like honestly you could use synthetic product it's not really harmful for you but i think to me natural will always be better because at the end of the day you might think of your skin as this exterior thing that's really tough it is your largest organ it does end up in your system you know like if you put something on your face you get an allergic reaction it's because your body knows that it it's not good for you and it's reacting to it, and a lot and it does get some of it does get absorbed into your skin, right? So taking that into consideration, I wanted to only use natural things on my face. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what was your question? I'm so sorry. No, that's
0: all right. No, um, <laughs> I, I, I was like, I started saying it and then I was like, wait, uh, what was my question? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I was just going to say, like, if you have any tips off of the top of your head as to how this can be made more accessible to larger number of people. Right. I think that, like, honestly,
1: e-commerce businesses are so great right now because we kind of can reach everyone. You know, even though we might not have like physical stores, like the bigger mm-hmm. brands, it's now become easier to be accessible in terms of prices. I would say, you know, natural products are really expensive. There are cheaper alternatives as well. They might not be like a hundred percent natural, but I feel like mm-hmm. they're out there. So yeah. And also just I think, you know, asking, I think for us, for example, a lot of our customers have asked for minis because we only have the big products, so that's something that we're working on right now. Because they wanted, you know, a lot oh, of them. Cool. Yeah, they wanted they want to do smaller products, and that's okay. You know, uh, a lot of companies are doing minis now, so yeah,
0: that's really cool. Yeah, I think, and that's also a, a better way for companies like yours to actually get their product to a, a lot more or to a greater number of people. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, and I think my final question would be, what would you like to see change? Like a big, you know, seismic shift in the beauty industry as a whole. You know, green beauty, non-green beauty, beauty industry in India, beauty industry in the West. What, what would you like to see change?
1: I think I would really say, for me, a huge, like... One of the biggest things I would like is more inclusivity. I would love Mm. for people to just kind of accept other people for the way that they are. Number one in India, like color, can we just accept that we're brown and we're beautiful because we're brown? Like you go to like other European countries, you go to the US, they're trying to get brown. Why are we trying to get white? (laughs) I don't get that. You know, it's so crazy. It's just like being unique being yourself like there's no one else out there like you and you only live once kind of you know like I want the whole like the beauty industry to kind of play on that play on that everybody's unique we don't have to all look the same and look beautiful in this specific way that's really important to me celebrate scars you know Cars are what you've been through, you know, they're your story, like celebrate them, like make them a part of your identity. I think all of these kind of things and like making beauty, not just superficial, making beauty about being good to the environment, being good to yourself, being good to the people around you, like all of those things are beauty.
0: Yeah, just a more holistic idea of what it means to look or be beautiful rather than what it is right now. Absolutely. And we have so much power as well in today's day and age with social media that you can actually champion real bodies, you know, bodies that belong to everyone as opposed to just one ideal body type. Right. Exactly. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I think we could have gone like really long because this conversation about beauty is just so interesting and then there's just so many layers to pick up on because we've got such an you know definitive indian experience we've also got experience outside so this was a great conversation i thoroughly enjoyed it thank you so much oh no thank you so much for having me this was so fun uh no worries and for our listeners i'm going to make sure that they can find out more about your brand, your products, and um, everything else by giving them your website link, your social media links, etc. in the episode description. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that marks the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find all the relevant links and handles to know more about our guests this week in the episode description. If you have any feedback, suggestions, requests, or simply just want to get in touch with us, then please do head over to our podcast website. We are available to flag and say hi to via Facebook, Instagram, or email. Thank you and see you next week.